Hey, look, I'll be honest with you. Uh, those who uh, know me, have known me long enough know that I'm no stranger to uh, a little bit of confrontation or a little bit of straight talking. And uh, we had someone come to the project here quite a, quite a time ago. And um, I, I had a bit of a talk with the person. And, um, <clears throat> well, to be honest, basically uh, what he said to me is, I'm here, I'm just coming to check you out. You know, it was kind of the check you out thing, like I'm checking out a movie, you know. And I'm just kind of going, well, underneath... Uh, our heart of the project is that we actually desperately want people to have a sense from God that God wants them to be in a particular place, all right? And uh, we're actually pretty, pretty well aware in Toowoomba that there's a bit of a problem amongst churches where people kind of float around a lot and they don't really commit anywhere. And we, uh, we think that's actually not very biblical, all right? We think that the Bible is very clear about the fact that people should be planted in a family, planted with God's people and be committed to it and be submissive to it. So... Um, when people come in and they kind of treat the project a bit like a movie, I start saying a few controversial things, right? Because I just want to separate the wheat from the chaff here and just see what's going. And so I couldn't help myself in this situation, right? Those who know me well enough are just going, oh, this will be good. <clears throat> so I said to him, I said, you know what? I said, you know what um, for me is the white flag that's been run up that shows that the, uh, the Western church has surrendered? He goes, what? I said, evangelistic teaching programs. All right? And what I mean is that programs that teach people how to tell other people about Jesus, I reckon that is tantamount to uh, total admission of failure as a church when you have to teach people how to tell other people about Jesus. Now you can teach people about apologetics and that kind of thing, but uh, I think it's a massive failure. You know why? Because pretty much everyone who knows anything about churches knows the best people who tell others about Jesus are those who have only just met Jesus. So why do we need to have a training program? Why do you need to have a training program? You, you, you actually don't need a training program. I mean, that's admitting the fact that the church is totally disconnected from society if we've got to work out some strategy or technique to tell people about Jesus. Which I think, I don't know about you, but I think that's a tragedy, all right? Because one of the things that evangelicalism has done to... Uh, to mission and to uh, telling other people about Jesus is it makes other people a target. You know, and it's like I've got to, within 15 minutes, I've got to get someone to say the sinner's prayer and to bow their knee and give their life to Jesus, otherwise it's a failure. Instead of, and you know what? I, I, uh, I dare you to find somewhere in the Gospels where Jesus does it in five minutes and gets someone to the sinner's prayer within five minutes. He just doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. So today, we're uh, going on with our uh, third instalment from the Who Are We series, all right? And uh, this is giving you a bit of an idea of where the project is coming from and what's really valuable to us. This is what we would like to be like as a leadership. This is what we would like all of you to be like as, uh, as people in the church, okay? So if, uh, if I run off the track and we, you know, I tell you to start worshipping Satan, right, don't follow us, right? But if I say some stuff that's from the Bible and you can see, wow, that looks like how Jesus did it, so maybe I should start doing that too, that's a good thing, okay? It's a bit like uh, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what we would say as a leadership to you. Follow us as we follow Jesus. Where we uh, divert off from following Jesus, stop following us, keep following him, right? And just come up and slap us in the forehead. You can even do that literally if you want, but just, just be prepared for the uh, consequences if you catch us <laughs> off guard. All right? <clears throat> Let me tell you this. You know, the good news about mission is this, is that God was on mission coming to save people before you ever existed, and he'll be doing it after you're gone. He knew everything in advance, and before the world was created, he knew what was going to happen, and he had a plan to save people. This was how he had uh, organised to, uh, to save people. This was his plan. I'm going to read a section out of C.S. Uh, Lewis's book, uh, Mere Christianity. Did you ever think when you were a child what fun it would be if your toys could come to life? Well, suppose you could really have brought them to life. Imagine turning a tin soldier into a real little man. It would involve turning the tin into flesh. And suppose the tin soldier did not like it. He's not interested in flesh. All he sees is that the tin is being spoiled. He thinks you are killing him. He'll do everything he can to prevent you. He will not be made into a man if he can help it. 
What you would have done about that tin soldier, I do not know. But what God did about us was this. The second person in God, the Son, became human himself, was born into the world as an actual man, a real man of a particular height, with hair of a particular colour, speaking a particular language, weighing so many stone. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man but before that a baby and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. Theologians and Christians call this the incarnation. And if you actually go to a dictionary definition of what incarnate is, yeah, I'll get there. If you actually go to a dictionary definition of what uh, incarnate is, it basically means to come in flesh, all right? Now, this might might sound a little bit irreligious or disrespectful, but chili con carne, right, is chili in meat. That's what it means, right? Carne comes from the same root word as incarnation, all right? So if you want to work out what's the incarnation, well, it's God in meat, flesh, all right? Some of you are going, well, that's weird. He's not a dish. No, he's not a dish, all right? But it's God coming in meat, all right, to save us. This is what Philippians 2 says about uh, the incarnation. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If you're not a Christian today, or if you are a Christian today, you know what the good news is? Is that God's not a drill sergeant. He could be. He would be allowed to be. He has the authority to be a drill sergeant. But he doesn't just stand up in the sky pointing and barking orders at you that you ought to do. What he does is he comes and he takes skin on. He's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. He's God in meat. Because he knows that you need someone who's God in flesh, God incarnate, God in the meat right in front of you. But this begs the question, so he came in the flesh. How did he do it? What was his strategy? Well, how would you complete this sentence? The Son of Man came... How would you finish that? The Son of Man came preaching the word. The Son of Man came to establish the kingdom of God. The Son of Man came to die on the cross. What about if you just flip it around and you think about us in terms of what God wants us to do in terms of helping other people to follow him and to find him? Perhaps the question uh, we could ask is, we should go and do what? Should we go and campaign for political change? Should we go and preach on street corners? Should we make the most of new media, Facebook, Twitter? Should we adapt to the culture that we want to reach? Let me tell you how the Gospels answer this. The Son of Man came. There's three answers to this in the Gospels, three general answers. The first one's in Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But do you notice that? That's not a strategy. That's a purpose statement, right? This is what he came for. It doesn't say how he came. Luke 19.10 says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Again, we've got a purpose statement, right? So all of us Western kind of Christians who have, uh, if you're a Christian here and maybe you've done an evangelistic course, right, you're going, well, what's the strategy? What did he do? Well, you might be a little surprised at this, but here's the truth. Here's the method. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. If you look for a statement about Jesus's main strategy in the Gospels, this is pretty much the only one you're going to find. All right? Now, it's, it's really good to fast, all right? But there's, a, uh, there's a, a quote in the front of a book, which I'm going to promote to you later on, which will sell really cheap for you, and we make nothing out of it, but it'll just be really good for you to get a head, your head around where we're coming from at the project here. But a quote in the front of it says, fasting's really good, but when you look at Jesus, feasting is a whole lot more like Jesus. He's just feasting. He's just, he's just eating. He seems to be eating stuff all the time, right? And there's one quote I read that said, uh, in the book of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal, pretty much the whole way through the book, all right? So there's his strategy, right? So, and this is what I want to flesh out with you because this is what we'd like to see happening at the project. 
There's a really interesting uh, verse in Luke 5 verse 33, which is uh, a little bit of a challenge to us uh, religious types. They're criticising Jesus and his disciples, right? They're really criticising Jesus, but we don't want to have a crack directly at Jesus because that'll probably get messy for us. They've probably seen how he's reacted to other people around the place. And they've gone, we can never beat this guy, right? So we'll take his disciples on. They're pretty stupid, all right? They're fishermen. We'll have a good shot at it, all right? The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. Isn't that interesting? They're accusing the disciples of not praying enough. And Jesus and his disciples, what are they doing? Well, they're just going around to people's places. And they're just having a meal. They're having lots of meals. All right, we'll get to a scripture later on where Jesus gets accused of being a sinner because of how much he eats and drinks. He's just with people. He was seriously into eating and drinking. All right? He spent a lot of his time. I mean, if you wanted to say it this way, you could say Jesus was a party animal. All right? His idea of, of uh, helping people to be saved is just to have a long meal that went right into the evening, probably with some really good food. And it's really disturbing for most kind of religious types here because his first miracle was what? Water in the wine. And they're probably already drunk. Right? And you just go, well, he's, he's an enabler. All right? But he's God. So if he wants to make water in the wine, that's fine. Maybe he went around with a breathalyzer or something. I don't know. And just checked to make sure they were all good. All right? He did. I mean, the churches talk about evangelism, telling other people about Jesus, and they talk about discipleship, helping people to grow and to change and mature. He did it over a meal. All right? It wasn't this really intense kind of sit down. And we've got 35 points that we're going to get through. And we're probably going to get to probably the end of number one because you're just a mess, you know. <laughs> but Jesus, well, we're just going to sit down. We're going to have a meal. We're going to be with people. You know, and I, I was thinking about this and I thought, why is a meal so central? Well, I'll give you a couple of my reasons and then I'll give you a couple of quotes. And you can decide which one you're going to agree with. You know, we're not talking about master chef meals, all right? We're talking about just having people over. We're, talk, we're just, just having dinner together, like often. You see, if you ever come to the Sondergel table at night time, man, it's, it is not neat, all right? <laughs> we have an abundance of testosterone in our house, all right? And there's crouch, touch, pause, engage going on around the place. The boys are dueling each other with rugby scrums. Uh, this morning, one of my boys decided to be cool. Let's make it a lightsaber out of carton, like cardboard kind of tube, right? Which is really good because no one else has got a lightsaber. So he's going around cutting pieces off people's bodies this morning and getting his brothers upset. You get to the table, you know, we get to the table and, uh, well, our kids don't eat all their stuff. Anyone else got kids like that? You know, they'd be happy eating Coles white sliced bread for the rest of their life, all right? A dollar a loaf, and we're kind of going, well, we could save some money. It's a lot cheaper than steak. But you know what? When people come to our table and they eat with us, your kitchen table's real, isn't it? You know, and as much as you try to make it, if, if you're a family, as much as you try to control your children and you try to make sure everything's happening the way it needs to happen, it, most of the time it doesn't at the table, does it? Because that's where everyone's really relaxed. That's when people are probably... Uh, very authentic at the meal table. And they get to see, they get to see Jesus. See, God's, God's plan is to incarnate, all right? So that's his plan for his people, is to incarnate him. It's not, I think evangelicalism has done a lot for the church, but one of the things that's really messed up is it, is it makes people into preachers because they think they've got to come up with a good 10-minute speech that persuades someone they should give their life to Jesus. Well, Jesus didn't do that many speeches, really. I mean, he's, most of the time in the Gospels, you look at him, he's talking to people. It's not like a big preacher. I mean, you've got the Sermon on the Mount and you've got some times where he does, but most of the time it's kind of conversation. And you know why? Because they get to see what he's like. You invite someone to your dinner table and they'll see what you're like, all right? And they'll see Jesus in you when your kids just absolutely lose it if you've got kids. And they are totally disobedient. And that's what they need to see. They actually, people don't need to see fake 
Christians. They need to see real Christians in the bear pit trying to work out how the heck am I even going to do this without someone's having to go to hospital tonight, all right? Because it's messy and it might be me inflicting the injury on the person who goes to hospital. You get what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's what needs to happen. Like, real authentic, who are you in Jesus, who is Jesus, gets seen when people are in real life situations. You can't put on a good show forever when you're inviting people into your home, can you? when you go to their place. You just can't do it. It's one thing I love about going on camps at the school here is students normally go on the camps, especially if you go for, like the one that I've been on a bunch of times to Canberra, went for about eight days. And the best thing about it is no one can hold it together for eight days. (laughs) All right? And usually everyone's starting to lose it at around about the same time. All right? And I I think that's great. All right? Because that's life, isn't it? Life's like that. I mean, we're all like that. The, the bottom line is that we've all got our own private little rooms and things that we can go away to and we can lose it so that there's not a whole lot of people watching us. And that's good to do because Jesus went away to a solitary place. But there's a whole side to incarnating Jesus because, you know, I put need in inverted commas. Jesus' plan... I won't even use a need now. Jesus' plan is that you would incarnate him now because he needs people to incarnate him to be him in the flesh to every generation. That's what he needs. And you're the plan. All right? And so that means that you're going to have to invite people and get people close to you where it gets messy for you. And when you struggle, and you're probably going to need to learn how to say sorry to people and tell people that you've got things wrong when they've watched you and you weren't like Jesus. All right? Because that's how people learn to repent and to turn from the things that they're doing wrong, is when they watch someone else repenting and turning from the things that they do wrong. So we need to be close enough to see that stuff and, and model it to each other. And that, that's the plan. All right? Here's what Tim Chester says about the importance of food. Why was food Jesus' main strategy? Jesus is called a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is why eating and drinking were so important in the mission of Jesus. They were a sign of his friendship with tax collectors and sinners. Listen to this. This is a great sentence. His excess of food and excess of grace are linked. You know, I mean, it looks like let's just do lots of it, you know. And a lot of the time you're going, how much do I cater for, you know, how much much food, you know. And honestly, don't think, oh, Pete does all the cooking. Pete doesn't do all the cooking, right? Um, Inch does most of the work in my place, but do we just have just enough? Well, Jesus, no, let's have plenty. Let's have leftovers, all right? Let's not gorge ourselves so we need to roll each other to the car, all right, because we can't walk anymore or our pants fall down because we've had to take our belt off, all right? But let's have plenty. Let's, let's, be, let's be really generous. And, and Jesus' thing is, man, I have very generous grace. I've got very generous forgiveness for you. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to, I'm going to sit down with you. And here's the thing. If you're, a, if, you, if you're not a Christian here this morning and you don't love Jesus, you're the kind of people that Jesus went and had dinner with. You know? and, if, and if you've had the experience of religious people in churches frowning at you and you're not good enough for them and they kind of treated you as a target, Jesus is not like that. He treats, he treats sinners as friends and he has meals with them. In the ministry of Jesus, meals were enacted grace, community and mission. So what's your sign of friendship with others? Do you invite them in? It, you know, the really interesting thing about this, and I'm sure you've all heard this heaps, but Jesus wasn't just wanting to have meals with people. Other people wanted him to come to stuff. And it was, well, so they liked him, all right? I'm just telling you, like, if you want to do... I want to tell someone else about Jesus and I want to close the deal in 10 minutes, they're not having you over for dinner, all right? Because honestly, I probably wouldn't have you over for dinner, all right? Because no one likes to be a target. No one's a target. It's just like we just go and we just be with people because they're the people God's made and I'm I'm just going to go and I'm just going to be Jesus as best as I can. And when I fail, I'll be open about it. This guy, uh, Peter Leithart, He said, uh, Jesus came teaching about the feast of the kingdom 
and he came feasting in the kingdom. Jesus did not go around merely talking about eating and drinking. He went around eating and drinking a lot. And then you get this in Matthew 11. You see, Jesus was fully embedded, all right? This is one of the lines that we use at the project here, is that God wants you to be culturally embedded, all right? So if you play like Call of Duty or something, it's like you're almost in a ghillie suit, right? And you're crawling around in... Well, it's not like you're in cam gear and you're trying to trick people, but you're just with people. You're just in the middle of it, all right? And you're not even putting a whole lot of pressure on. You're not trying to close deals or any of that sort of stuff. You're just there and you just love people, all right? And just who knows whether Jesus might make something happen. And if he doesn't, well, you just keep praying about it, all right? Because here's the thing. This church wouldn't work well if the deal was that we had to manipulate everyone to be here. And that's, that's a big concern of mine in the Western church is that a lot of evangelism, there's a very thin line between uh, evangelism and manipulation. All right? And it's not good enough. And to be honest, uh, I think oh, I might get in trouble. We need to repent, I think, when we think that way. Okay? Because it's, it's not about you and it's not about learning a technique and a strategy and it's not about working out a five-minute speech, all right? And it's not even really about, well, you've got to have a 10-minute testimony that you can tell people, you know? It's really like you've just got to be thinking, well, Jesus came and he put skin on and he's gone back to heaven now, so I'm his skin, all right? Which means I'm just going to do stuff, all right? And I'm going to help my neighbours and I'm going to connect with my neighbours and we're going to do stuff and I'm not going to try and close any kind of deals, but... Jesus kind of seemed like he just hung out with them and he just sat down with them and the, and the drunkards and the tax collectors who were like pimps in our day and the prostitutes, they all thought it was really cool being around him. Probably because he's not trying to close a deal but he's loving them and he's, uh, and he's looking for the opportunity where he can actually bring change to their heart and save them. With me? And uh, I should go on. I should stop, I mean. I said I should go on, didn't I? That's interesting. You're all going, no, stop. <laughs> but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, John the Baptist. And they say, he's got a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is Jesus, right? He's going, I can't win here, right? John didn't eat. You guys said he had a demon. I do eat, and you say I'm a glutton and a drunkard. Right? This is like saying, uh, have you finished beating your wife yet? He's going, well, there's no right answer to that. All right? You've got a choice. You can either die by hanging, being shot, or poisoned. All right? You're just going, well, a heck of a choice. You're just stuck in the corner. All right? And this is where Jesus is at. He's going, man, I'm about feasting. I'm about sitting down with people. I'm about relationship. Tim Chester goes on and uh, says this. He says, it's not complicated. If you share a meal three or four times a week and you have a passion for Jesus, then you'll be building up the Christian community and reaching out a mission. Not MasterChef, because a bunch of you cooking kind of types out there are just going, oh, man, like three times, three courses times uh, four is, that's 12 courses I've got. No, you don't, all right? Just, just get, some, get some bread. I mean, if, if you invited us over, you could just get Cole's bread out and toast it. That'd be sweet. All right? The boys would go, oh, this rocks. I'll let you in on a secret. Every single church is on the cutting edge. True statement. The only question is which generation? Our generation is it's really, uh, honestly, it's, it's about networking. We were, just, we were over at someone's place for dinner last night and they just talked about how lonely their next-door neighbour was. And uh, the, the dad of the family just said, man, we just, seriously, like sometimes I feel like I need to kick him out. Right? He's just over here so much, but he's so lonely. Isn't they they uh, 
they have meals together and they, they pray before the meal and even when the family goes to the next door neighbours for dinner, the next door neighbour invites the dad to pray and say grace at the start of it and then doesn't want to come to, doesn't want to, come to church, doesn't want to get into spiritual stuff at the moment. But, like, that's okay. So just, just be with people. See, one thing I've, I've noticed and one thing I've learned is God probably wants to impact you with the image of God that exists in everyone in the world that doesn't know him. Like you've actually got, here's the thing, I think you've got a lot to learn. And the self-righteousness of church people sometimes is such that people think we're the ones that have got everything to give them and we make them a target. It's, it's not on. It's not on. We have a lot to learn and we have a lot that we can be blessed by in the image of God that we see in other people. Okay, here's what we're going to do. The last uh, two weeks to, uh, of church, I've handed out a questionnaire, okay? Because the Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, okay? So this is, uh, this is a questionnaire just to see where you're positioned at the moment in terms of how culturally embedded you are, okay? So I'd encourage you to take it seriously. I'll go through all the questions and explain where I'm going in the questions, all right? And this is not like a works kind of thing where you just go, oh, I've got question seven wrong, so I just better go and do that. No, it's just meant to be like the whole canary in a coal mine thing, right? The canaries, they had them in cages in the coal mine and when the canary dropped off the perch, everyone's it's time to get out, all right? The canary's dead. Let's get out because there's some dangerous gases and it's a bit like that with this survey, right? Just work out, how am I going on it, all right? I'm not even necessarily going to give you a score whether the canary's still alive or whether it needs CPR or whatever, all right? Don't go giving Canary CPR, okay? It's a workplace health and safety statement from the project. <clears throat> but it's just a bit of a heads up for you about where you're at, okay? So you can define, uh, for the purposes of this little survey, you can define what your neighbourhood is, okay? But what I'm defining as your neighbourhood is something that's not work, okay? So... If you work with uh, people who don't know Jesus and don't love Jesus, you really need to be thinking about um, what happens outside of your work context. Okay? So you might do some things with your work context. Maybe people from work outside? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the real heart of the project is that you'd be thinking where, literally where you live. All right? So if you can kind of head in that direction, that would be really good on these especially if you work for a Christian, a Christian institution, all right? Because uh, I'll just be honest with you, um, there would have been lots of years when I was working at the school here where I just thought, oh, yeah, I'm on mission because I'm on mission to 15-year-olds. But I'm just telling you, that doesn't count, all right? You just get an added advantage because you get to do it in two places, okay? It doesn't count, all right? Because I think that you need to be... Like for me, it's really important for me to be engaged missionally with peers, all right? Because there's an unfair power advantage in a Christian school, if that makes sense. No, most of you don't work in a Christian school, but I hope you get where I'm coming from, all right? Here we go. Number one, do you know in your neighbourhood, whatever you're defining that as, that as, do you know what their hopes, aspirations and pleasures are? Yes or no? Now, the first one, you really just want to lock in, do you know what their hopes are, all right? Because you actually only find out about someone's hopes by being around them and just talking with them, all right? Now, don't go out with this survey when you, this week and, righto, I'm going door knocking, what are your hopes? <laughs> don't do that, all right? This is for you. Can you give two examples of the greatest fears and problems people have in your neighbourhood? Like right now, can you give two examples? of the greatest fears that people have in your neighbourhood. Three, do you know what views of right and wrong people have in your neighbourhood? Yes or no? Four, do you know what religions are represented in your neighbourhood? Five, do you know if they believe in God or not? Six, do you regularly spend some of your spare time with people in your neighbourhood? Now, I'm not telling you, like, 
don't, this is not kind of target kind of strategy thing, right? This is just an evaluation question because if you're embedded and you just love people, you know what you're going to do? Well, you're just going to spend some time with them, all right? And not even because you want them to become a Christian, but just because you love them, all right? That's just what you're going to do. Seven, do you know the felt needs of your neighbourhood? Now, felt needs are like felt needs, right? The things that they really feel like they need help with. Eight, do you regularly have meals with others? Even two-minute noodles will let you do that, right? That'll count, especially if it's got the dried vegetable sachet in it. Look at all the young people know all about it. Uni wages. Nine, do you often think about incarnating Jesus to others? Yes or no? Now, this is not, do you often think about a five-minute speech you could give? Do you often think about someone being a target? No, I'm just saying, do you often think about Jesus in your meat, all right, of your body, living it out through you in front of other people? And this is not, oh, I better watch what I'm doing here so that people know that, learn something about Jesus. It's not that either, all right? It's just being Jesus. And 10, are you impacted by the image of God in them? I'll tell you one thing. I am impacted by the generosity of a lot of people that don't know Jesus. I'm really impacted by it. It's, it's, it's so beautiful, the generosity. And it, it outdoes me. And that's not why it's beautiful. It's beautiful because I can see God coming through people because he made them and they're a little bit like him. You see, if you're with people enough, you're going to be impacted and encouraged and helped by how they're like God. We're not going to have a show of hands. I know you'd be disappointed about that, especially the judgmental people are. All right, you just can't have a show of hands because I've done pretty well. Let's have a look at the other people around here. All right, here's where we're going to finish. And you can't finish? Sondergaard's finishing and it's only just past 10.30. Yes, he's getting close. Here's how this looks in the project. First one's this. Our only official program is Sunday morning church. All right? It's not so you can go and find time for another idolatry, right? So you can just become a slave to another, to a jet ski or something like that necessarily. No, nothing wrong with jet skis, but you get what I'm saying? You, we're, the thing for the project and the thing that's uh, absolutely tragic about the modern church is that uh, modern church people, uh, if you go up to them and say, do you know your next door neighbours? And they kind of go, well... I'm too busy going to church stuff. I don't have the time. All right? That's probably a sin, all right, for a church to make people so busy that they don't know people around them that don't know Jesus. Is anyone with me on that? I I just think it is, all right? So what we do at the uh, project here is that we just don't have that many programs, okay? And the reason why is because we big time want to free you up just to do everything that needs to be done to just be Jesus, whatever he's calling you to do, with whoever he's calling you to do, you can just go and you can get it done. All right? So if your neighbour's out doing something in their yard, building a garden, all right? So you're not saying, man, I'd really love to go and help him build the garden, but I've got to go to a prayer meeting at church. Now, we love prayer meetings, right? But just at this point in time, we're loving you going over to your neighbour's place and just helping them build a garden. All right? Because we kind of look at Jesus and we think, if he gets accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, who knows? He, maybe he made a garden. All right? But I'll tell you something he might have done, and he probably did do, is he probably helped people to build stuff. Because that's what he was. He was a builder. All right? So do you reckon Jesus, if he's standing there on a Saturday afternoon and there's no church meeting on, right? And he got in trouble probably for not going to as many church meetings as he should or respecting the rules, and someone's building something on their house, you reckon he's just going to sit there and watch them? Maybe sometimes if he needs a rest, but I see him going and helping out. 
I just, and it's not like, I'll put up this rafter as long as I can say a verse. Every time a rafter goes up, I'll, I'll recite a, a Bible verse. He's not even doing that, probably, all right? Because I just don't see tax collectors, pimps, prostitutes and alcoholics putting up with that, all right? Because they get enough abuse from the rest of society anyway. They already feel like they're not good enough and they've got a very acute sense of their own shame. They don't need us helping, all right? Jesus covers shame. He doesn't expose it, all right? The only shame he exposes is to people who don't think they've got any, all right? Which is the religious people. So here's the thing. We, uh, we don't put that much stuff on, okay? And that's on purpose, okay? Let's use it. Freeload a week. Diff talked about it before. We didn't do it enough in the last half of last year, all right? But we'd just love you to be a freeloader or get some freeloaders in this week. Man, you could do three or four in the one week if you want. It's like we're going to pull off even our... Uh, miniature kind of church programs, if you want to put it that way, if you call community groups a program, which we don't really, but you can call it that if you want. We're pulling all that off, all right? We're going to have the 30 on, but we're going to pull the community groups off. We're going to keep it really simple one week a month because we just want you to go and get some people over or go over and be at someone's house. Anyone. Just, we don't even really care, all right? Just go and have a meal with someone. It could be someone in the church. It could be someone who's never been to church. If you've got a Satanist living next door, go and have a meal with them. All right? Just be careful what you eat. <laughs> Just get into it. All right? It's, it's, it's not hard. Okay? And don't, just don't feel that pressure about having to put on a five-star meal. Okay? We're, we're not going to be known as the MasterChef Church. All right? People go, well, you go out to the project, man, you get three-course meals once a month for, for nothing. All right? It's probably not going to happen. And I'll just throw this in at this point. This has been really influential in our uh, thinking. And for those of you who don't like reading, it's very thin. All right? No pictures, though. I'm sorry. But here's the thing. A meal with Jesus. This is where our whole strategy is coming at the project is coming out of this thing. Right? Because he just explains how Jesus did stuff in the Gospels. And we're just going, we like that. All right? Anything, it's like, this is what Jesus did. We're going, well, that would be a really good thing to do. All right, we're just going to do what he did and uh, we'll just see what he wants to do through us. Okay, now, if you go to Kurong, it's 15 bucks. We'll sell it to you today for 10 bucks. All right, we are subsidizing you. We get a discount and then we're going to subsidize it even more. 10 bucks. All right, next week. We're going to invite all of you beautiful people who uh, call yourself projectiles to, um, to do some letterbox drops for us. Okay, now, here's what we're doing. We think everyone on this planet needs help with handling conflict. All right? All of you and everyone else. All right? We're not really that much different. If you're alive, you experience conflict. Okay? If you're dead, you've basically been beaten by it at some level. Okay? So here's the thing. What we're going to do is at the, end of, uh, at the end of this term, the last three Sundays of this term, we're going to run a series on conflict. We've got a brochure and we'd love for everyone to just go, I'm just going to pop it in some letterboxes of two blocks, the block I live in and one next to it. All right, we're going to organise it a bit so people don't get 35 of these brochures at once. Okay? There's going to be, uh, by next Sunday, we're going to have a trailer online about it. There'll be a link to it on the brochure so people can have a sneaky look when no one else is watching because some people don't like coming to church, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, and then after the messages uh, are preached, we're actually going to video the messages and, and vodcast them online. So what we're doing here is, uh, the bottom line is, I think if you put a brochure in a letterbox, they're not going to come, all right? That's because I just don't think that's going to get it done, right? But in our day and age with networking and the internet, all right, people look at lots of dodgy stuff online in secret. They might have a quick look at our trailer and maybe watch something about conflict if we really work hard to make sure that it's going to be accessible to people who don't know Jesus. So that's what we're doing. And that will give us some really good stats about how many people have actually viewed it online and we can work out whether it was a good thing to do and whether we do it again. We'll probably do it again anyway to just give it another try. Um, you just never know with this preacher though he's a, he's a bit erratic 
So that's what we're doing. But you know what that's going to mean is um, you're just going to have to go for a walk. Some of you are going, oh, man, I gave that up 10 years ago. All right? You'll have to go for a walk and you'll have to put some stuff in some letterboxes. And you know what? Something terrible might happen, like someone's actually standing in their front yard when you, when you go up there. And you're going to have to make the call about whether you're going to put the ghillie suit on and sneak it in the letterbox and hope that they didn't see you. Or actually go and give it to them in person and say, G'day, hey, we'd like to invite you to come to church because we just want to help you to handle conflict. And they're going to, they might punch you in the nose and then you'll have a good example of how to do it. All right? But you know what? It's, what are we doing? We just want to help people. God's got the most conflict-ridden family that's ever existed. It's the most dysfunctional family in the history of the universe because his kids kill each other, all right? And they keep killing each other. <laughs> so that's next week, all right? And what I'm actually going to do for you next week is I'm going to give you a list of questions that you can take around with you as you go for a walk. Do you know why? Because there's some stuff that you need to observe about your community that you probably haven't even thought about. And I'm just going to give you the questions, right? It's kind of, it'll be like, we'll have like six people here next week, but... It's like a little homework assignment, right? As I do my two-block walk, I'm just going to be thinking about these questions. Now, don't have them out there and don't go and ask anyone the questions, but you just have because you just need to notice stuff, right? Christians are really good. We just fill up our lives and we never notice people around us. So uh, it's just stuff to notice, all right? If you haven't noticed, it's stuff to notice. Out at uh, Highfields here, um, we, as a church leadership, we just better notice what's going on in Highfields, all right? We better read the local paper, all right? Even though it's good for starting fires, we better read the local paper, all right? Because we've got to work out how does Jesus incarnate in Highfields? How does he incarnate in Toowoomba? What is, what is that going to look like? Because felt needs for people are going to be different everywhere, okay? And we just want to give it the best shot. This is not some kind of some of you might be going, ah, some kind of weird business plan or something. It's not a weird business plan, all right? We just want to get Jesus out there so that people can respond to him. That's what we want to do. And that involves you, right? This is not, the project does not believe in professionalising evangelism where the church does it all and the paid people do it, all right? We don't believe that, all right? Because Jesus doesn't believe that either. It's you. You're his plan, all right? So if you need to cry about that and work it through, you work it through, all right? So that's going to be next week. Um, I'm going to skip to the last one. We're going to have communion again today. But what I want to show you is I want to show you this video. This video is um, uh, John Piper speaking at a conference and he talks about a true, tells a true story about a, a man called Joseph the Maasai warrior. This uh, was a guy who um, went to a Billy Graham convention, if you know who he, who he is, and people heard this guy's story. This is a a, uh, a very moving story about incarnation. We have a tech problem. All right. Hold on. One day, Joseph, this is the Maasai warrior who showed up in Amsterdam from his tribe. One day, Joseph, who was walking along one of these hot, dirty African roads, met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And then and there, he accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life, and he was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was return to his own village, and there share the good news to the members of his own local tribe. Joseph began going from door to door, telling everyone he met about the cross, suffering. And the salvation that it offered, expecting to see their faces light up the way his had. And to his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized him held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. 
Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a water hole and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception that he had received from people he had known all his life. He decided he must have said something wrong or left something out from the story of Jesus. After rehearsing the message that he gave at first, he decided to go back and share this message again. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God, he pleaded. Again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him, reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third and possibly the last time, he again spoke to them, Jesus Christ the Lord. Before he passed out, the last thing he saw was the women who were beating him began to weep. This time he awoke in his own bed. The ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. And the entire village came to Christ. You know what's uh, missing? You know, that scripture there, there at the end says, uh, Paul says, I'm filling up what's lacking in the sufferings and the afflictions of Christ. What's actually missing in the sufferings and the afflictions of Christ is someone suffering and being afflicted in front of other people and still loving them and being Jesus. It's incarnational suffering. That's, that's what that tribe needed. They needed incarnational suffering. And that's what everyone needs. It's, it's not that common that people just randomly give their life to Jesus because they heard a truth. Mostly they come to Jesus because someone incarnated. And you know what? You've, if you're a Christian here today, you know why you, you're a Christian? Because he incarnated. Seriously, like, I reckon, what would humans do if they had a, a drill sergeant who was telling them what to do? They'd find someone to blame him. They'd say he's irritating, it's pathetic, they'd probably swear at him, they still do anyway. And they tell him, just get necked. I'm not going to listen to you, I'm not going to follow you, you just yell at me. But what does he do? He actually comes, he comes, it's God in the flesh. And that, that's why you love him now. Because he incarnated, and his gig is that he wants you to incarnate him to other people. Now it's not in the same way that Jesus did, right? It's in a reflective way. Jesus is the embodiment of God. I mean, Hebrews 1 tells us that. We get to be a really good mirror. That's what we get to be. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God in the flesh is going to be broken. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood, the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill and some have even died. This is really costly. Communion is about something that was very, very costly. So you'd, you'd never treat it lightly. And uh, we, we love the thought at the project that people would not take communion because they know their heart's not in the right place. 
We love the thought that people would stop. And I'm going to give you a couple of minutes um, in a second here where you'll get a chance to examine yourself because you need to just not treat it lightly. You don't mess with it. This is not something simple and cheap. And Peter says that it's the precious blood. It's precious blood. So you, if you're not a Christian here today, you could become a Christian now and eat of it in a worthy manner. Because the way that you eat of it in a worthy manner is you say, oh, I am in desperate need of this. Desperate need of this. I desperately needed someone to, I needed God to incarnate, to come in the flesh, and then to be busted up for me. And maybe some of you, I'll give you a chance just to think and pray here in a minute. Some of you, seriously, maybe you just need to repent. I mean, maybe it's been months since you've been with someone who doesn't love Jesus. And you know what? It's not like that's the problem, but you're just not like Jesus because he didn't do that. He was with people that needed saving and he just hung out. He was with them all the time, it seems. So maybe you can ask God's forgiveness for that. Maybe you've got some other things you need to.